shopping things. All right. Richmond, Virginia. Awesome. And Vicky, remind me. Oh, you're in Southern California. That's right. I am so jealous. I hate you. Yes. It's my home state so much. All right, I'm going to just make a note. I, I want to make sure I get Sonia's question at the end. Um, so let's start off. Actually, let's start off really quick with Sonia's helmet, uh, helmet question because that actually a um, bunch of different mistakes, I would say, that people make when they're helmet shopping or trying to buy a helmet. Um in general, Sonia, the first thing you want to, th I'd say, consider. Um, consider your motorcycle. Consider your riding position and how you want the helmet to work for you. So here's a common mistake. You might ride a cruiser. Okay, so say you have a big, beautiful, um, you know, road glide or you have a big V-star or something. And, um, you know, or a Vulcan. And so you're sitting in this really comfortable, um, oops, my mic is a little low. Uh, you're sitting in a really like up here position and your head is like straight ahead. Okay. So your chin doesn't drop down. Your head doesn't drop down. You just, you're just up here really comfortable. If you pick a helmet that might be for example, this is a good mistake, is um, not necessarily a mistake, but just something that might lead you to an experience that maybe you weren't expecting. So say you have um, a V-Star and you decide to buy uh, my helmet, which is right here, Ooh, hey, the Bell Ray Star. Let's just pretend that um, you buy this helmet. Now, the challenge with this helmet is if you are, so say this is your, your head, right? And you're on the V-Star. You know, your head is, the helmet's gonna be kinda like this. Like, I'm gonna hold it from the side so you can kinda tell. So if you're sitting up straight, the helmet's gonna be straight, okay? So what does that mean? That means your chin's up high and then when you're looking out, see how my finger is roughly where your eye line might be because you're sitting up here. And then what happens is, hey, Karen, you're missing all the view that's up here because your eye line is here, not down here. And then what happens if you do ride a really, like you do ride a sport bike? Well, you have to drop your head down and now look, okay, so for this rider, now the eye line is up here, and now I get to take advantage of all this view, but if I'm wearing it on my V-Star, I may not see all that, and I may not get the extra side vision that I was hoping to get in this helmet because it has a really big face shield and it has a really wide peripheral. And for me, that's really great because when I do track days on this with this helmet, when I get when I try, <laughs> when I attempt to ride really like really forward and really work on my body position and get low, when I'm trying to work on that, 
I can see so much out the side. But, you know, up here on your V-Star, you don't really get to take advantage of that because you're not dropping your vision down. So that <laughs> choosing your helmet, um, picking, you know, a really aggressive helmet line for a very non-aggressive position, you could lose out on some of that. Now, the opposite is also true, too. So let me get a different helmet. So this is a scorpion. What is this? I don't even. This is a 710. It's like a very, one of their very, actually really good beginner helmet. It's $200. It's fiberglass, and it has a snow rating. It's just a really light helmet. Okay. So with this helmet, this would be the opposite problem. So let's say that you want, I'm trying to do this backwards here. Let's say that you do have, um, you have a sport bike, okay? So you ride like a R6, okay? So you ride one of the most aggressive uh, track bikes on the street. So what happens if your helmet is really designed for someone who doesn't? So what does that mean? So here, okay, so here I am. Um, this is my helmet I'm gonna wear on my R6, on my aggressive sport bike. I'm gonna drop my head, my chin down. I'm trying to do this like reverse looking in the mirror. I'm going to drop my chin down, right? Because my sport bike is like super aggressive, right? I have to lean forward. I have to bring my head down. And then what happens? Okay, so your eye line is like up here. Now what happens? You see the top of the helmet. Sorry, it's my dog. You see the top of the helmet, and now it's in your way. So then what do you do? Then you have to pick it up. You have to push it up like up here, so that this isn't in the way. So those are two common things. Um, I mean, of course, there are really great features that you may want, because maybe like, yeah, okay, you ride a V-Star, okay. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be wearing a sport bike helmet or that you can't, um, because there are a lot of really great features that you may not get in some of the touring helmets, like ventilation. If you're just like, I just want as much ventilation and airflow in my helmet as I can possibly get in a full face helmet, then um, that's where you might want to buy my helmet for your cruiser because you're like, I just really want a summer helmet. And then you're still going to see. It's not that like you're not going to see things. Um, you know, it's not like you won't be able to see what you need to see. It just means that you don't, you may not be getting the rest of it. And I think Kyle, who's a follower on my page, I think he had asked me this, uh, we talked about this like a month ago on another event and he has an RF 1200 and I think he has a, Vul a Vulcan or a V-Star and that was his thing. He was like, why can I see, you know, why isn't my peripheral vision very as good as it's supposed to be based on the reviews I read? And it's because he's up here but the helmet is like up here. I mean, this is better. Um, so his eyeline's here, um, but the helmet eyeline is up a little higher. So that it, you can totally use um, that helmet, my helmet. You could use any sporty helmet on um, any ride you want. It's not a big deal. It, it just explains why sometimes you either can't see because the helmet is sitting is like all of a sudden in your way. Um, or why like maybe the back of your um, jacket is hitting the back of your helmet because if you do ride something really sporty like an R6 or a GSXR, 
as soon as you drop your head down, if the helmet is too straight in the back, it won't follow your head tipping down. It'll stay straight and then you feel it like hitting the back of your neck and then you go to do head checks and then you can feel the back of the helmet like hitting your jacket, which is really annoying. Um, assuming your jacket's not too big. And certainly that can be an issue too, right? If your jacket's really big and then you put your helmet on and then all of a sudden it's like they're kind of bumping into each other, that can totally get in the way of head check, right? So that um, that leads me to kind of another point with helmets is helmet thinning and sizing, right? So it's, it's really hard because when you don't... When you don't have the opportunity to talk to somebody who is really knowledgeable about the fit, nuance, and difference from um, one brand to another, and certainly how it works for your writing position, it can be really challenging, right? If that person has no idea what the difference is between this um, race, race star kind of uh, view and position compared to the scorpion, you know, that makes it 10 times harder for you as somebody to kind of figure that out. So generally speaking, um, you know, with the wrong fitment, I'd say the first thing is to understand what an intermediate oval and the round oval and the long oval head shapes, what they really mean and how to identify yours. So a lot of people just, they're not, um, they're not sizing the head shapes according to the top of their head, but they're, they're shaping, they're sizing it to their face. And that can be two different things. Like I've had a lot of, um, I've had a lot of actually male and female customers where they need a, um, a helmet shape on top. That's like really oval, like the bell, the bell's like a really tight intermediate, uh, to long oval. And, but then their face might be fuller. So like me, that's, a challenge I have with a lot of helmets. I have very full cheeks. It's kind of my DNA and my heritage. Um, very full, very round. So most cheeks pads, they're just too tight because they all tend to be just a lot narrower in the face. And um, luckily, the bell has really soft pads, so it doesn't affect me as much, but I could probably use five millimeters down, but I'm not like, it's not so uncomfortable that it's driving me crazy, but I had to do that with my showy. Where's that? With my 1200, wherever that is. I think I'm blocking it. Because the cheek pads were like, oh my God, they're just squeezing so tight. And see, I have really full cheek pad cheeks. So um, that, I had to do that. So you want to make sure that you differentiate um, your fit here uh, around your face from the top of your head. Um, and then that can present a big challenge. So, um, understanding your shape, figuring out and trying and really pinpointing how oval do you need it? Meaning how skinny do you need your helmet? Do you need it like really skinny or do you need it like average and Inter intermediate is like average? Um, or, you know, or do you need, uh, a, a rounder helmet, you know, try, try, take pictures maybe of your head, like make sure you have a, a bandana on or something like really fitted so that you can see the shape of your head without hair um, to help you identify and like have someone stand on a chair and take a picture uh, while on the chair of your head so you can kind of look at it also and 
try to figure out, you know, what your shape might be. Um, so that would be the first, I'd say first thing a lot of people forget to do. And then, you know, measuring, understanding, okay, I've got a 58 centimeter, you know, I've got a 56 centimeter, but it's a long oval 56 centimeter, which is really different from a round oval 56 centimeter, right? Because the circumference is just the distance around an object, but it doesn't tell you how, um, what shape around, right? Because you could measure, a, you know, if you could measure a triangle and measure the circumference around a triangle, and that could be 56 centimeters. And then if you measure a circle and 56 centimeters, those are two different things, right? So you want to be really careful about that. Um, I'll throw up a link. Let me see if I can find it. Um, our common tread on RevZilla has a really great um, sizing um, article, just uh, general, like how to size and buy a helmet. So that gives you just some really good general uh, information. Um, uh, as far as kind of how, what other things that you're trying to search for, um, when you're trying to buy your helmet, you want to think about, um, features. So a lot of people confuse ventilation and breathability. So those two words are very different, right? So when you say ventilation for anything, I'd say Generally speaking, that's think of ventilation as um, like a fan effect, like a fan is on and air is blowing at you. And then um, in the top of your helmet, like in the EPS, the, hel the air would be moving through, hopefully through the helmet. right? So um, air flowing through as you're moving. But breathability is, you know, if you look inside your helmet and you take the liner out, you'll see little holes, you know, along the crown. You'll see like two holes here, maybe two more, maybe hopefully more. Hopefully you have like eight because the holes inside will give you the breathability so that when you start to get really warm, like it's 90 degrees, you're out riding in Southern California, um, you know, you're out in the summertime and your head's getting really hot, where those little holes in there are going to let that hot air leave. So you want as many vent holes for the breathability. And that's where I found, um, hel like track helmets. I've, that's where I found, um, certainly tr any track specific helmets because they're designed to provide maximum, like 11 out of 10, like turn it up to 11 maximum ventilation and maximum breathability. Cause on the track, it's like, it can be hot. Um, you're working really hard, but also that comfort, is, is really there for as much airflow, but it's not a quiet experience, right? So that's like the downside to the track helmets too, because they're the loudest. They're um, the most aerodynamic, but they're not necessarily the quietest or the most comfortable. And so that's why I have two helmets, because the bell, I, I, it's tiring after like a four hour, five hour ride. So I could never take it on a trip. Like on a one week trip, I took my showy, took the 1200, because it, it um, uh, dampens the wind noise more. It's not like it's like silent, but it's just comparatively to the track helmet, it's much better. So I hope that kind of covers some of the <laughs> questions you had, Sonia. I know there's a lot to cover about helmets, and I'll probably schedule something that's just about helmets so that we can spend a little more time. But I wanted to get to some of these other um, uh, mistake uh, tips that I have. So kind of in conjunction with what I was talking about earlier, um, 
choosing the wrong gear. Hey, Sandra, uh, the wrong gear for your writing position. So that's a, um, that's a huge one. And it kind of falls in line with the helmet. So say you ride, um, for example, an adventure bike. Okay. You have a BMW, you have an F800 GSA, um, or something in an adventure mode, a DR650, um, a DRZ400. You get the idea. Okay. So your uh, riding position is similar-ish to the cruiser, but your feet are going to be a little bit more beneath you, um, like a like sitting in a in a chair comfortably, right? Um, and you decide to buy maybe, sorry, wrong direction. Maybe you decide to buy some sporty leathers because you want the protection. And who doesn't want the protection of street or track leathers? Okay. And that totally makes sense. It's, it's hard though, because, uh, you know, brands like that, they're not designing two piece sport leathers or sport style leathers to wear on something like your KTM 990 Adventure, your DRZ 400. They're, they're not making it for you. So what's hard is you buy this really sporty outfit and then you sit on your adventure bike or maybe your cruiser and then everything just does nothing feel it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel you know it's snug but it's like too much and it's restrictive almost it's like really restrictive and it doesn't facilitate um you know your comfort while riding and and that's where um, it can be really challenging because you might have picked something that was really designed for um, a KTM RC390 or uh, a Yamaha R6, but you want to ride it on your Tenere and you want to wear it up. So you end up with this jacket that's like, oh my God, it's really tight across the chest. You can't sit up on your adventure bike because the shoulders are like pulling. It's like everything's like you can't open your um, you can't open your arms, you know, wide enough to put your hands out on your bars because it's so tight across the chest. And and then your knees, it's like, you know, why is the, you know, why is like the waistline, um, you know, hitting me so hard? It's because with track style pants, the waistlines are meant for you to be sitting forward. So as soon as you lean a little forward, you bring your knees back a little bit and you bring your feet back a little bit, all of a sudden the pants actually start to feel a little better. And that's because of the riding position. It's it's as if somebody um, sewed on the clothing on your body while you were sitting on the motorcycle. And that's why the fitments are so different. And when you choose an outfit that isn't really optimized for your riding position, then you get this discomfort. You're like, I spent $800 on this leather jacket and it's the worst thing I've ever worn. Or, and then the reverse is true. Like say you, you have a, um, really great sport bike and, oh, I lost my comments. Um, and you're trying to, uh, you know, you want to wear really cool cafe style, classic, you know, Steve McQueen style, um, James Dean. Does anyone know who James Dean is anymore? Um, you know, brown or black leather, um, you know, cruiser casual jacket, but you want to wear it on your sport bike. Well, that presents the opposite problem because now your super casual jacket, which is, which is designed for you to like sit up, look cool, (laughs) sit up, you know, 
be really comfortable. Now you literally can't lean forward because the fit doesn't allow you to do that. Um, you know, I'd say it's a lot like, <laughs> it's a lot like sitting, trying to sit down in a two-piece suit, right? How many of us have ever worn suits to work? I don't know if anyone still does, but, you know, sport jacket and slacks. The minute you sit down, even in a chair, it doesn't feel great. It's like the pant legs are so straight. They all, they hike up to your calves if you're a guy. Um, I notice that with a lot of men, like as soon as you sit down in your suit, your slacks like pull up, your pant legs pull up really high um, up to like halfway up your leg. And it's because the legs are so straight. They have no ability to stay put and, and really fit around your leg properly so that when you bend your knees, the fabric and the hemlines don't move up. Um, that fitment right there tells you what, is going to work for your motorcycle. So when you buy a pant and you sit on your motorcycle and you, um, you're in the garage and you're like, I can't even bend my knees or why is it that when I do that, my pant legs are up to my calves and now my ankles are exposed because I'm wearing shorter shoes. The pant leg isn't, the pant leg is not designed specifically for your riding position. I would say, um, that's probably more of an issue with those of us on sport bikes and those of us on sport touring bikes sometimes. But also, I just in general, if your foot controls are not forward, then your leg is not as straight and you're bending it more. And that requires a pant that can really follow you into that riding position. So that, that kind of all ties into the same um, issue of not considering your riding position for the riding gear. And then you end up with this outfit that you can't really wear comfortably. Um, with that, that kind of is a good segue into, uh, seasonality. So another common thing I see is you, um, say, say you're on a budget, right? And that's, that's a common issue, right? Especially nowadays, right? Um, say you're on a budget and you only have, uh, a very limited budget amount, but you need, you, you only have, you can only get one jacket and you need to wear that jacket as much as possible. So you need something that can work in 100 degrees, and then you need something that can work in 40 degrees. That is the unicorn, I think, which a lot of us are chasing, and it's hard to find that um, solution without a lot of compromise. And the challenge there is if you buy a, or kind of the common issue I see is, you buy a mesh jacket, right? You buy a really great summer coat um, because mesh jackets are the most affordable. They're the most plentiful. It's the most common jacket that anyone ever buys is a mesh jacket. And now you have to make that work way beyond the seasons. You need it to work in November, December, January, February, even though it's really only meant for March, like April, May, June, July, August. You're you now need to make that work for a year. But the problem is, is that now you have to sacrifice fitment in one season or another. You have to layer way more times than you want to layer. You have to wear something else maybe um, on top because if you have a light mesh jacket when it's forty degrees outside, if you don't have an incredible wind block to throw either on top of it or to put inside of it, then that makes it like, right, that's going to make it super challenging too. Um, so 
turning a one season jacket into a four. That's, I know it's really hard sometimes, it's hard. Um, but that's also where you'll find it to be exceptionally challenging um, to get the performance you need. And then what happens after that? So you buy this mesh jacket, you're trying to make it work in all these directions, but because you haven't experienced um, what true two season gear can do for you, now you're reshaping and you're framing your misconceptions about riding gear. And now when you go to shop, now your approach is, well, I've got to buy everything two sizes bigger. You don't have to do that, but you have to figure out what is ideal for the riding conditions that you need them to work in. But now you're shopping in a way that's not as productive. You might now be looking at jackets and sizing that's not correct. So that's a that's a hard one, though, because sometimes you do need things to work beyond their capabilities. Um, and there's certainly a lot of ways around that, too, um, you know, with different mid layers and things like that. And, and listen, for some people, um, some options work well and for others, they don't really work well. And, you know, I'm very guilty of um, looking at things kind of uh, from one perspective and not another. And it just depends on you know, what compromises you're willing to put up with for your writing, because those compromises are different for everybody. Um, what else did I have on here? Oh, here's another one. Um, many, many people have issues with uh, uh, length. So let's talk about sleeve length, finger length, pant length. Um, depending on your frame of reference for what is suitable as far as length. A good example is you might be used to um, a jacket that's just too big. Maybe it's a size or too big and the sleeves run longer because of that. Well, now your expectations are set for, well, my sleeves need to be this long. And unfortunately, they're not meant to be. Um, the other, or they may not be meant to be, and then we reintroduce the issue that I was talking about earlier about choosing gear that isn't adept, isn't matched to your riding position. So what happens there is a good example is um, you're going to be wearing uh, your sorry my brain's not working. You're riding on a you know on a cruiser, and you need a touring jacket that's going to have the right sleeve length. But when you put it on, you're not even considering the reach of your cruiser and you're not considering the reach of your handlebars, right? And on a cruiser, your, your reach is really like short, right? Your elbow, your arms are usually bent. Typically, unless you have ape hangers, you're not like fully extended. And that's where like all bets are off. You can't expect any gear to work on ape, ape hangers, unfortunately. But um, if you're just on a regular riding position, a BMW, you know, those are super comfortable and easy. And all you're doing, you're thinking about is, well, these are, my sleeves are too short because I can't put my arms up <laughs> or my sleeves are too short because I can't put my arms out to the side or my sleeves are too short because I can't put my hands behind my back and I can't hug myself. Well, you'll never, that's never the point. That's never the consideration. That's never the thought with true performance protective riding gear, right? So now you're expecting it to do something it'll never do and you'll never find anything long enough. So then the trick there is certainly 
Don't worry about hugging yourself. Don't worry about doing jumping jacks. Don't worry about raising your hands up in the air. Um, remember, considering your riding position. So that's a big mistake that kind of ties back to everything. Not considering your riding position. Where am I sitting? How far back do I sit? How much length do I really need when I'm seated? Because when you're walking around too much and you're trying on stuff, it sometimes isn't as comfortable and isn't going to perform at that level. Um, and that's where you really want to prioritize your bike. And now, and then here's the thing. If you do prioritize your motorcycle and it's still just not right, you know, like sleeves are like up, you know, up here, like that's not right. That's where you're probably, okay. Assuming that you're in like somewhat average length of sizing range or like anywhere from five four to six foot okay um that your sleeve length is always certainly going to be longer if you choose certain brands so your european friends are always going to have your length extended your american brands are typically going to be a little bit shorter i'd say the exceptions there with the american and european is the adventure riding and dual sport lifestyles because that lifestyle pretty much dictates or it like it requires a longer length because if you're you know you're out in the um out in the desert you're out on the mountain on your dual sport you're going to be standing so that means your sleeve lengths are longer because you have to extend your sleeve your arms out for that riding position and that's makes sense for that kind of bike but you wouldn't ever be doing that on a sport bike or you know on a cruiser so again your riding position so really think about Am I, am I really choosing the right item for this position? Um, but generally speaking, if you go Euro, you'll always get a better length and it's usually too long. You know, pants are too long. Fingers tend to be too long. Um, everything tends to be a little bit on the longer side. Um, with gloves, one of the things I see with length is if you choose a glove that is more straight. So just in your mind, you know, if you think about like a kind of the stereotypical uh, cruiser glove, right? It's just a like a driving glove. It It's probably really straight. It probably doesn't have any hard knuckles on them. It probably doesn't have flex points. So it probably doesn't have any stretch here. Well, that's the problem. If you do need more length, you're not going to get it because when you have stretch points along your finger, your knuckles, maybe you have a stretch point here. You've seen some gloves maybe that have like an accordion stretch here around the knuckles so that when you do this, you know, your hand can like move with that. And yeah, it kind of looks funny, but it's there so that when you go to squeeze and go to kind of move your hands in this position, um, that the finger lengths aren't going to hold you back from that. So that again goes back to uh, wrong lifestyle for your motorcycle. So if you um, do have, or not necessarily, I'd say half the time, it could be a lifestyle thing. Like you ride a sport bike and then you bought really cool cafe racer gloves or, you know, cruiser gloves. They're probably really straight and you can't squeeze your, you can't hold your hands the way you need to on a sport bike. Um, Cause track gloves, anything that's really sporty, they sew the fingers a little longer like that. So, they know that you're going to be squeezing your hand more. And so you need the finger lengths to follow this position. So when you put on a sporty glove, it kind of makes you like it forces your hand into this position. And for me, that's the ultimate glove fit is any glove I put on that 
puts me into this, that's where I'm happy because that means I don't have to make the glove do this. So that's where you can get more length is um, any choosing gloves that have that do have the knuckles and do have the stretch joints on it and do look a little more aggressive and they might look maybe not the way you want them to, but it's because all of those features are sewn in there for that extra room. So um, again, that's where, you know, riding position should, you always want to like really put that at the forefront, you know? So that's something that's really common. Um, what else? Uh, oh, I had a question. So I will let me go back into the comment thread here. And um, someone was asking about leather for summer. Um, Sandra, leather for summer, it depends, I would say, a few different things. I would say that's, I mean, generally, it's probably a no. I mean, it's, it's not like it's a terrible idea. But if you're going to do leather in the summer, there's like a few things you know you're going to give up. So um, one thing is ultimate comfort, you know, ultimate ventilation. Like you'll just never, you know, if you put on a mesh jacket and then you put on a leather one, there's just a, it's undeniable, right? The comfort that you're going to have, you can't, they're not comparable um, as far as the venting in the airflow. So you have to find a leather jacket that has enough airflow and ventilation for you to be comfortable. And that can really vary, Sandra. So your personal comfort for wearing something heavier in the summertime, it might be lower. You know, like um, a lot of us, uh, a lot of older women who have different thermometers inside and sometimes your thermometer is broken and, you know, your temperature regulation is kind of out of whack that's where leather may not be a good idea for you because getting hot really fast and then being really uncomfortable, like that could be a terrible experience. And I don't think anyone wants to have experienced that. So um, that's where I would say that's probably not, you know, a great idea. But for someone like me who, uh, thankfully, my internal thermometer isn't quite broken yet. So I don't have this, these sudden super sudden changes in temperature comfort. I'm temperature sensitive, but I'm totally happy to be hot. I'm totally happy if it's 90 and it's a little, and I'm a little stuffy in my leather. Oops, over here in my leather. I'm okay with that um, because I always run colder, but that's probably not the case um, if you're, especially if you're a man, if you're a heavier, a larger man, if you're 5'11", you weigh 200 pounds, you probably aren't cold ever. It probably takes a lot. And for you, leather might be too much. So that's where leather, I'd say that's a good place to draw the line. But there also aren't as many options for wearing leather in the summer because it's generally speaking, I'd say in the last decade, there's a huge decline. I, I think uh, this is not based on data. This is just based on like my personal experience and working in the industry that um, there's a decline in how much pe leather people are buying. You know, textiles and mesh, they're, um, they're easily available, they're more affordable, they're more plentiful. Um, the majority of people are fair weather riding. There's like a very small contingent who are super hardcore and ride a lot. Um, so the choices that we get now for summer and mesh product, it's like 10 times as much probably as before. It's, 
I don't know. It really varies, I think, depending on the writing lifestyle. But I'd say in general, um, textiles are just, they're just more comfortable and they're a lot easier. Oh, I'm going to change my lighting really quick. There we go. Got rid of the crazy sun. Um, so that's where I'd say with leather, you're going to um, really gauge your comfort level and figure out what are you comfortable doing. But in a perfect world, I think you have a leather suit and then you have a textile suit and they complement each other. Um, oh, okay, so actually talking about leather, that's another mistake. That's a good one is choosing um, the wrong leather for your lifestyle. Um, well, in general, I'd say choosing wrong leather because it's no longer the case. I'd say maybe 25, 30 years ago, you can make a very strong argument that, uh, leather is always, you know, that leathers, uh, are always the most protective. And nowadays that needle is, it's moving. It used to be, I think, really, 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 like firm because the choices back then, the, the, the fabric technologies, just the general kind of science and technology, we have so many advanced textiles now that are doing a really good job. I mean, right, look at riding jeans. It's like, that was not a thing. I mean, for those of us who've been riding for at least like 15, um, years or so, it longer, right? For those of you who've been writing for like 30, 40 years, think about the options you had back in the day and you probably can't really think of any. Like there was no such thing as a climb latitude suit or a Badlands suit. Like those things just didn't exist. And then now we have this level of writing gear that is performing. So I'm not going to say that all leather is the best, but certainly you'll find the, probably you'll find the best options for the most protection in leather. And then you have fewer choices in really high end, um, ultimate protection textile. But I, in a heartbeat, I would gladly wear a premium textile over a mall weight casual leather. So there's absolutely no way at all, I would trust some department store leather jacket to perform in the way that a premium like climb or revit level textile with really high abrasion resistance and seam strength, I would bet my money on that over 0.7 millimeter calfskin or, you know, lambskin casual leather. So that's also where, because we have more choices, so you don't have to think that way anymore, and you can totally get all the protection you need in textile as long as you choose to invest in it. So it would be foolish to think that spending $100 on a jacket and $20 on the glove would get you the protection to where you would have what you need to compete with a premium leather. So still, you know, the choices aren't as vast, but I think definitely you can totally do really strong textiles. And I, and I have both, I have strong leather and I have some strong textiles. Um, let's look at some questions. Let's see. So one question, my favorite pair of riding jeans for protection. Um, and that's a really good question. I am so particular about riding jeans. I, I generally am not a fan of, I just the concept of it, I, 
I'm really torn because, of course, like who doesn't want to go writing in something really casual because it's easy and comfortable. Um, at the same time, running motorcycles, nothing is easy. Nothing is super comfortable because you're, if you're choosing protection, I guess for like women's, my favorite is Revit women's riding jeans. However, their sizing is always going to be really limited from a U.S. women's like two to a women's maybe a 10 or 12. And if you even if you're a 10 or 12, you have to be a perfectly proportioned 10 or 12. So that means you need to have like a six or seven inch difference from your waist to your hip for them to fit without being without there being a lot of gapping or really strange waist fit. Um, Sonia, you want extra petite jeans? Oh, Sonia, girl, that's basically every woman's riding jean. Just, you know, if you want really petite, like size zero, um, I'd say out of 45 women's styles out there, um, like especially on Revzilla, most of them come in a size 24 or a zero. Um, I can give you a, just email me, I can send you a list, but it's basically every gene, every woman's riding gene out there is made for a woman between a size zero and six. Immediately, that woman has the most choices. Um, but in general, I think for protection, I do like Rocker um, because Rocker offers a couple of really great fabrics called Dynatech and um, Scholler Dynatech and Armolith. Um, Scholler Dynatech is a Swiss fabric uh, made by Scholler and then Dynatech denim, or sorry, Armolith is a French company. And that they're very, they're really great, basically fake denims. They look like denim, but they're not. Anything made with those materials, I'm a huge fan because it's one layer of material that protects you, not two layers. So instead of a jean layer and then like a Kevlar like sewn together where you have these two layers like this, it's just one layer. It's like they fuse them together and it's certainly less choices though unfortunately there's really aren't a lot of choices in that for ladies um in general my favorite for protections are just pants but there's it's a whole other thing too it's like for women we have very few we have harder choices for pants because pants are also not as popular but also it's like a catch-22 because well there really aren't any available and then well no one's gonna you, you know you can't sell them because you're you might be um, looking at different pant sizes but you don't offer them and then they don't make them because you're there you're not selling them you know it, it pants are just like a whole freaking thing um but yeah Sonia email me um just send me an email um on my uh, website, or you can just send it to what email address do I have on my website? I think it's web stuff, like W E B stuff at geartrick.com. Uh, email me, I'll send you any specific recommendations you have. Um, let's go to the other question. Claire has a really good question. She asked, Are there brands of gloves and pants that you recommend as being a good fit for most women and will last? Okay, so for gloves, I would say, um, I mean, certainly any of the really just like premium brands like um, Dionese, Ruka, Revit, Alpine Stars. Um, personally, I do wear racer gloves. Those are my go-to for just everyday riding. And then I have uh, Ruka winter gloves when I do a l the little bit of winter riding that I do. Um, 
but God, it's so hard because like with glove fit, it's it's a whole thing, you know. It's like oh palms and then like um, comfort and it's a whole thing. But I do like those brands a lot. Um, and pants, I think the best luck I've had fitting women when uh, they come into the showroom. Revit have, has typically been the best brand where I can fit like 70% of women that come in the door. Um, that 20, 30% that I can't fit are usually extreme cases, like women who are either size 16 to 20 or women whose is double zero because those extremes, they just don't, they don't really exist. And the most common um, kind of range of women's pants that are for sizing, the sweet spot is four to 12 in, again, averaged proportions. So waist to hip measurement, less than seven, eight inches. You know, I'd say the perfect proportions are women who have maybe a five or, uh, okay, I'll give it a, I'll bump it up. Six or seven inch difference max from waist to hip. And then when you get like a 10 inch difference, like 29 inch waist to like 39 inch hip, that's where all bets are off and it gets exceptionally challenging. Um, let me see any other questions I missed in the, in the feed. Uh, can I also check any of my other notes that I had for, um, your mistakes. Those are kind of my general, I think I covered all the like big ones and it was on my brain, like the whole, you know, riding position versus the, the gear for your lifestyle. That to me is the, that's like where a lot of these problems I think, um, come into. The other thing I think is expectations. There's always going to be, you have to go in knowing that the expectations you have are probably not going to be met. Probably not. They may, you know, hopefully they're going to be satisfied, but you're always going to have something like, oh, I love, you know, I just love, I wish I could have the perfect red leather jacket. Well, red leather doesn't sell. Um, it's just not a color that most people want to buy. And with leather, that's a, you know, $500, $600 investment. And, you know, if you're going to sell leather, um, you're going to make more than two, you know, or more than five. So you have to think about, just make a mental list uh, for a jacket. I need to have, I need to have it fit me. Check. I need it to be in this budget. Okay. Um, I would love it to match my bike, but I know it won't. Okay. Or it may not. I'm going to try to find something neutral. Um, you know, those are the kind of things that you really want to think about and then, and try to uh, separate for yourself. Like, well, what am I, I'm happy, I'll give this up. It's fine. I can live without a perfectly matched green leather jacket to match my bike. I can live with that. That The more you take away, then the more you'll get, which I know is unfortunate. But I find that with, you know, with riding gear, our expectations are set to being like clothes and they're not clothes. They're, it's for, it's protection. It's, purely that right and so the more you compromise then um the more you'll get you'll get almost everything if you compromise little things like it has to be this matching blue 
you know, it can't be this particular brand, you know, that's where I, it's, I, I strongly encourage you to just think about what's going to fit, where am I, what can I even put on my body? Like what is going to work on my body and what is, what is going to work for me to actually go riding in? Um, because if you can't find something to just put on your body to fit you, well, you won't have anything. So I say it's good if you can to try to start there. Um, and then work your way up. So expectations, that's a, I think that's a really difficult challenge too. Um, oh, one other thing I just thought of that I forgot to mention is, uh, layering. So I've, you know, being, again, being a little bit smaller person, and I think I can really only speak to my fellow smaller individuals who do run a little colder that layering 10 times doesn't really, it gets the job done, but it doesn't really work as efficiently or as well as if you layer smart. But layering smart also means starting with something on the outside, starting with a jacket or a suit that, again, is correct for the temperatures you're going to ride in. So if you're going to ride in the winter, you want a winter jacket because that mesh jacket can't do anything for you with the wind. It can do nothing because all it's designed to do is let all of it in. So what do you do? You try to get a waterproof, windproof jacket, a, a winter style coat that has less venting. It's going to have all the seams like sewn so that wind isn't going to come through your zippers. Um, it's going to have a collar nice and high so it'll keep the wind out. And then when you layer in that, you know, you're hopefully going to substitute the liner that it came with and you're going to wear um, a heated jacket liner maybe. So that's a way to layer smart is a, you get your winter coat and then you have, so you're on the outside, you got the winter jacket. And then, um, and then after that, you have your heated liner or like maybe a warmer fleecy kind of mid layer and then a really good base layer. So you're wearing like a wool, uh, maybe a smart wool shirt, or you're wearing like, there's a ton of brands out there making like really warm shirts that are thicker, but they're not like super bulky. And then you get this kind of efficiency, right? And assuming that it fits you correctly. So with those of us who run colder, I find that you're not considering how motorcycle gear is supposed to perform, especially a winter suit. Your winter suit will perform very differently than your summer suit does. So it's not going to work the same. And you want to really think about that. Um, that's another way to get a little bit better use to out of your your um, layering and then your performance. So really think about the fact that I'm going 50, 60, 70 miles an hour and I can't rely on my hiking jacket. I can't rely on the light layers that are work for me when I'm walking around the block with my dog. I need stuff that's designed to work for me as I'm moving faster and I'm on a motorcycle. So those are just kind of, I think I had all the main like topics and tips that I was thinking about. I think I'm, my brain's like starting to shut down. But um, if anyone has any questions, go ahead and just even anything you want, any questions, feel free to post. Um, otherwise, I've already scheduled my next uh, live event for next Wednesday. And my topic is going to be, hopefully you saw it on, um, on Facebook already. It's going to be the same time, 7 o'clock East four o'clock west. And my topic, I believe is going to be, 
that I've already forgotten what I scheduled. It's gonna, it's gonna be um, gear hacks, and uh, I'm gonna share like some of my um, tips and tricks to shop for gear. So it's gonna be topics like I don't even know what size I am. How do I figure out what to buy? Um, how do you size yourself without a size chart? How do you figure out what you you know figure out something without having maybe the information you need? So tune in for my um, gear hacks. I'm really excited about that one. Um, and it's mostly focused on fitment. So it's going to be fit hacks. Like how do I figure out what's going to fit me? How do I figure out, um, you know, what I should, what I, where I should even start if I don't even know anything. So I'm going to give you some really good, uh, tips and tricks there. Um, last question before I sign off, Carrie wants to know thoughts on dealing with the sun. Do we prefer sunglasses, helmet with shades or transitions? So, that I would say is harder with um, your personal sensitivity. I personally do a tinted, I have a gold mirrored tinted face shield on my bell and then I have a transitions lens on my 1200. And for me, that works fine. I'm not particularly light sensitive, but if you are, that may not be enough and you may need a drop down visor and a tinted shield. But, you know, it, it, I think it just depends on you. But before that, I I was totally happy with sunglasses. Um, I have Maui Gym sunglasses, which I really love using. And I would wear those with just a clear regular face shield, and I loved it. But now I, I'm actually pretty good with the tinted mirrored. I love it. But, you know, figure out maybe what might work for you. I, I think, sh- like, sunglasses are the easiest. You just take them in and out. You know, if it's dark, you just take them out, and then you have your clear face shield. But, you know, that doesn't look as cool, so I get that. Um one more question. Um, interesting question from Vicky about sustainability. Uh, sustainability being a factor for some people. Do you see manufacturers thinking about alternatives? I think. I think in the casual world, there's already we've already. I'm already seeing like the companies thinking about alternatives for leather. But you know, until people's demand for leather drops, I don't see that happening anytime soon. You know, until like something massive changes like pandemic um you know if like cost all of a sudden cost is a crazy factor or uh government like legislation maybe suddenly impacts leather to where companies are forced to convert to textiles but there are i've seen that some companies already like offer less leather options and um Oh, for more synthetics, boots is a really good example. There's a lot more synthetic riding boots now than there used to be. And I think I find it really hard to, it's, it's harder to find technical protective boots now that are animal hide. Most, like all the track boots now, I think are pretty much fake leather. Uh, they look like leather, but they're not. And a lot of the touring boots too are all pretty much fake with just maybe little bits of leather, but not as the main um, material to make the boot out of. So I think we're already seeing a really strong shift, but it's going to be, I think generally until demand really changes. So I hope that answers your question. So I will see you next Wednesday and I hope this was really helpful. Um, I'm also going to upload this to my podcast so you can listen to it if you don't have time to log on to Facebook to watch it. But thanks for joining me. It was really great chatting with you and I will see you back in a week. Have a great, great night.